Hey there, folks. Ted King here, welcoming you to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. Our guest today, Eric Marcotte. Eric stormed onto the professional road race scene, winning not one, but two titles in the highest echelon of American cycling. He took home the title of the 2014 Road Race National Championship in a memorably long, hot, hard-fought battle in Chattanooga, Tennessee. With just 32 finishers at that race and another nearly 100 being listed as DNF, did not finish. To ice the cake, the next year, 2015, he won the U.S. Criterium National title. And with that introduction... You might think that this episode will largely revolve around pure road racing. Rest assured, fair listeners, this is not a hellbent episode on such topics. Eric has a really interesting story. We're going to sort out in today's pod how he went from weightlifting to chiropractic school to opening a now well-established chiropractic office. In the meantime, he was joining the pro ranks at the age of 33, which is when he won the first of his two national titles. That allowed him to maintain the balance of professional cycling and a career professional in the chiropractic office. Let's be honest. Many domestic pro cyclists are just scraping by. They are racing for prize money. They're often on minuscule stipends, and many of whom are literally living below the poverty line and calling it a professional trade. Then you get somebody like Eric coming into the sport relatively late, he comes in with some pretty vast experience, and that can translate from long hours in the office to long hours on the bike. He's established. He's driven. He's motivated. You will definitely catch up on those traits here. And again, that first of his two national titles was a brutally tough year, which he won beating a massive group of domestic and world tour pros on a pretty hilly course, which then sparked an interesting political debate on his his attending some worldly races after that. He earned his spot. I've seen Eric at the races lately, which has been a pleasure to catch up with him. We caught up after a few-year hiatus just this spring at the Belgian Waffle Ride in San Diego as he dips his toe into the gravel scene. And then we recorded this episode at Mulready's, the favored watering hole of Dirty Kanza, the day after the big dog, his first go at Dirty Kanza in Emporia, Kansas. Now, Eric's story takes a bit of a detour as he was out riding last year in his hometown of Scottsdale, Arizona, and he was hit by a car. Now, if you've seen Eric or you know Eric, you know that he has more muscle mass than your average human. In fact, I will try to make it in the show notes image from Eric's weightlifting days, which is very impressive. Folks, he totaled the car that ran into him. Yes, he was injured. Yes, it was a horrific accident or had the makings of a horrific accident. He didn't break any bones. And as I just said, he totaled the car. We'll dig into that quite a bit here. So please don't go anywhere. Once again, I want to thank the very good people at Splat's Sunscreen for supporting today's episode of King of the Ride podcast. And now a quick story. I had a teammate and roommate during my first Giro d'Italia 2009 named Vladi. Vladi was from Ukraine and he was a monster. He didn't believe in air conditioning and he didn't believe in sunscreen. That Giro over the course of three weeks, we literally had about 15 minutes of rain and the entire country of Italy was in a heat wave. 
needless to say, Vladi without his sunscreen turned into a raisin. The sun is a wonderful thing, but so is Splat sunscreen. What sets them apart is their single-serve packets, ideal for anyone on the go. Grab a 10-pack and slide them into your backpack, your glove compartment, your jersey pocket, your saddlebag. Put them anywhere you want so that you are not left like Vladi without sunscreen. Just visit splatsunscreen.com, S-P-L-A-T-S-S-U-N-S-C-R-E-E-N, and use the code KING at checkout for 20% savings. Folks, thanks very much for listening. Please enjoy today's episode with Eric Marcotte. Dirty cans are number one, done and dusted. Well, I didn't done it. How far'd you go? Uh, it was about one fifty. The rest stop there. Yeah. So that's a. I know a lot of people who decided to stop riding the bikes there. Yeah, that's a really had, smart place to stop. I just had a few mechanicals there, and then it just was. It was too much. Um. I left that area and rode the next 50 miles largely alone. The final four miles I rode with two other people. Um, and I think I was I was deep into what you'd call heat stroke. So there were plenty of times I'm like, I, I, I'm going to just slow down to like this 175 watt area and hope to survive and not end up in a ditch. So uh, admirable choice, although I did not have mechanicals, so... What do you think? Yeah, you had like motocross tires on, huh? I had some big, burly, beefy tires. Those are Renee Hearse uh, uh, Hurricane Pass 42C tires with Endurance Plus casing. I've been working with Renee Hearse. I'm like, you guys, we need to have the most durable, rough tire ever. Because if you get a mechanical, if you get a flat, the thing is raced so fast, your day's done. Oh, my God. Well, so this was my first event. And um, so in the first five miles, I lost the saddlebag with the CO2s and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so you laughed at me. Um, well, I'm not going to get... I saw something fall off a bike that was black, and I'm like, mm, it's either a water bottle, a cycling computer, or a bag. Yeah. Every one of those is going to be important. Well, so. I wasn't about to stop and like sift through a thousand people trying to... Anyway... So that meant I was at the front or off the front for the first, the next 60 miles to see where I was going. And mm-hmm. we were, that definitely like changed that first part, huh? All yes. Right. Um, well, you rode very strong. You were at the front a lot. You were rotating well, which is the spirit of the race. It's, I think it's race like a kermesse. It's like attack, 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 attack the strong are going to survive and and one person is going to rise above the rest and win the race. Um, Some other folks were sitting in quite a bit more often. um, And I just, I I applaud the way you raced it, whether, you know, admittedly you didn't finish the, what you're going to learn from this will make you that much better next time around, which brings me to the question number two. Do you want to come back? I think it's like, so I was trying to think about what you might even ask me about on here is, uh, I, I fancy myself sort of an adventure dude. I think I've branched out and I've always branched out more than just cycling, even though I had some success with it. 
Uh, I'd enjoy all of the off the bike stuff a lot. I do quite a bit of crazy hikes, no food, like really getting to the point where mm. you are. Now I'll bring it. Let's be honest. This isn't. I bring it just in case some things go sideways. But like where you were with that one seventy five, like I've got a, like I've been there a million times. So I knew like that's mm-hmm. when I was getting like super hot trying to change these flats uh in the middle of the sun it was just like oh i've been here just calm down and Mm -hmm. like get the nerves like the the quote race for the front is over now you got to get to the finish then over and over and over again things keep happening and then you're like okay now i just need to get to a checkpoint to get out of this thing because you know i mean that exposure is real like Beating down sun. I'm looking at my cycling computer for the final half of the race. It never said anything below 92 degrees. Yeah. Um, that is very cool. I, I see you on the Twitter and I see you doing some pretty, I see you hiking. I see you out there. You're in Arizona. That's home. I imagine that's the, the place that you're going out and doing these adventures, not realizing that you like that. So, the so tests, says, the uh, discipline, the go on. Yeah, go back to like, would I come back? Yeah, now I would know. Like, I, those things have always been for fun, for instance. And then the expression or the competition has been on the road where it's this pretty regimented training program. That was the release, all the fun stuff. Now, all of a sudden, yeah, now I'm out of the like professional Peloton and oh, wow, I can actually shift this fun like uh adventure part of it and even like now couple it with the competitive part of it so Mm -hmm. that's i would say like i see now like yeah i could start to get into this type of stuff because it plays into my hands with or strengths of just attrition racing and then what i do off the bike just keeping my body a little bit more balanced and physically capable of taking hits for a long time and understanding biomechanics and stuff it's just yeah so i think i would be keen to come come back and give it a run nice well that's good to hear um yeah there's plenty i remember i finished my first one i won the first one that i've done and i'm like my lord i don't i do not want to come back it's so hard you're so depleted it's like okay one and done it took a handful months and i was like okay i get it i'm gonna come back whereas the the next year i did not win and, and right on the start uh right at the finish line i'm like that's it. I need redemption. I got to come back. So, yeah, you hear. I'd be interested in talking to the the world tour boys and be like, "Did you like it?" I mean, it's it's such a far cry from traditional racing that it's it's not in their traditional wheelhouse. But I mean, similar, go out and do an adventure for the sake of the fun of it. And that's what Alex House does all the time. And so, same with Lockie. Like yeah, those yeah, guys, yeah. they're and Finney. That's mm-hmm. all I see from those three in particular. That's probably yeah. why they sent them. Yeah, is that they're always out? Yeah, they're out training. They're getting some good efforts in. But then, especially when they're just these recovery adventure rides, they're mm-hmm. always checking stuff out. Now, like try to take that world tour fitness and then apply it on a course like this and mm-hmm. conditions like that and. You know the unknown. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the their trump card is always going to be fitness. Like you and I have raced at a very high professional level. Once you've stepped away from it and you're not doing the diet the same, you're not doing intervals the same. Like there, that fitness will just always the cream is going to rise to the top. So 
at that point it is it's some other intangible it's or maybe it is tangible it's it's that mental fortitude that you're talking about i was hoping for really bad weather that would just take their mental strength out of it too if like you know if you're racing through the mud and you need to go hike your bike a mile these guys would probably throw their bikes down and be like mm, forget about it i got the dolphinate to train for mm-hmm. so yeah it ended well, up being it's crazy hot but not- that's also what i was thinking is like some of the the terrain that we were going through, I'm thinking like, oh my God, Stetna and Lockie and, and Howes. I'm like, yo, these guys need uh-huh. to, it, it's like right on the limit of like, I'm sure what the the teams would want them to be sure. doing for sure. And that kind of, you're digging yourself into a hole. Um, World Tour racers are training, professional cyclists train four, five, six hours, occasionally seven, but that's rare. That's few and far between. You're racing six, seven hours in these, these massive monuments. But once you go beyond that and knowing that this race is going to be a minimum 10 hours, okay, this year they went 12 seconds under 10 hours. You dig yourself into a serious hole that takes a long time to come out of physiologically. And so, yeah, with the aspirations of the Dauphine Swiss long tour, uh, long list for the tour, like they they want to come back and and you know have a crushing rest of the year. I was also considering if the weather's going to be crap, they're going to be second guessing themselves around mile one seventy, being like, oh crap, I need to I need to save something for July, August, September. So anyway, I mean hats off. I think they all raced quite well. Mm-hmm. It was a fun fun day out there. And even hats off to Finney and Keel and stuff to stick with yeah. it after having all the issues and finishing and in the spirit of the event and everything. So that that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of you for not using aero bars. No, man. Rule number one of this race is don't muscles, be lame. Man. Dude, you, you throw down watts. So speaking of throwing down watts, three, speaking of riding bicycles, Marquette, Michigan. Is that where you're from? Uh, basically, that's where anybody would even know, but technically it's Ishpeming, Michigan. But Ishpeming? <clears throat> this is like right there. Okay. But that's the biggest town in in Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So tell me about your entry into cycling, when you start riding a bike, and then your entry into professional cycling, which... Sure. I think I was riding a bike uh, when I was pretty young, and do you remember the movie Rad? I've heard of it, and... Yeah, because you're a little younger than me. I've never actually seen it. Dude, it's pretty rad. It's pretty rad? All right. So go watch it. (laughs) I think so. Anybody in the cycling world. You remember the movie Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. Dude, it would probably be like that for cycling. (laughs) No no, no kidding. All right. So, uh, yeah, when I was young, we did some BMX, my brother and I. So I think we stopped that in 1990. So I think we only did it three years, 88, 89, 90. And then from then on out, it was all kinds of different sports. And even before that, gymnastics and blah, blah, blah. Um, all in Michigan? Is that where you're like born and raised? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then my brother played ball, basketball in college and stuff. And so we were always like on the on the court, um, even though I'm a little short stop and mm-hmm. stuff. But to be fair, I got to give myself some credit. At 16, do you remember those things called jump soles? The, were they the shoes that... Yeah, you didn't have like a heel. Yeah, yeah. And, bro, I put together a training program and at 16, 17, 18 years old, like a dunk. You're kidding. No. Dude, I I'm, can't do I'm that anymore because, of course, and my. I can't even get close to that. Yeah, but now you can't. Your meta- your mechanics are set up for a different effort. So, when like, I, was I can't. in high school and, and like spry sprint athlete, I couldn't dunk. Really? So, hats off to you. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't okay. play basketball. 
Yeah, yeah. So then I, you know, go to college and then um, get into chiropractic school after undergrad. And I was just this big dude. Like, I'm still decently big for this crew here, but like 185, just muscle. All muscle. Dude, totally. Yeah. Like the guy on the Muscle and Fitness magazine. That's exactly what I look like. Which okay. I'll send you a photo so you can put this <laughs> up with it. The, that'll be the cover shot. Um, and uh, first, you know, I don't know. There was just sort of this like, well, what am I actually doing with this aesthetic? Like it's not even functional, really. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're saving so you don't lose size. You don't go out and go for a run. And then I just said, you know what, why don't I try a triathlon? So this was like 04, I think. Uh-huh. And so that's winter in Minneapolis. This is, this is when I was in uh, chiropractic school. I got on a, um, no, what did I do? So I started running and then I was just swimming because it was cold in the winter there. Mm-hmm. And then in the spring, I bought a bike. It was a Colnago Masterlite for like 1100 bucks. Yeah. With I can't remember. What's the cheaper end of campy? <laughs> Beats me. Um it's not record, super record. It's like Athena or something, yeah, right? It's yeah, like yeah, really yeah. low. Anyway, so but uh, anyway, so then I I got on a bike, did some group rides, and I was like, "Yo, this is it!" Nice. And then just started just ripping. Hooked. Totally, it was just crushing. Hooked on triathlon or purely cycling, dude. I never even did a triathlon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did one in 2011 and 2012 because I had quite a few patients that are that, and I wanted to know or understand the mechanics and stresses a little bit better but i never did one when i was like trying to train up for one yeah man so so it was about 2005 i got ripping into it mm-hmm. Impressive. trying to and um then, i mean you raced for a handful of amateur teams yeah. ultimately going pro in 2012 2014 mm-hmm. jeez yeah. um which coincides with the year that you won a national championship mm-hmm that's got to be the only hey, time that's happened. Well, you know what? Also, we can also say this. In 2011, I'm I'm 31 that year, right? And so that was still when USA Cycling did a 30 to 34 Masters. Uh-huh. So I won the road race and the crit. So okay. also probably the only Full-time Masters. Well, but who won the Masters Nationals before the pro, <laughs> right? That's crazy. So... Yeah, that is going to be a first. Um, probably, man, four-time national champion with identical wins in different categories. Um, but, I mean, would you? what is your crowning achievement on the bike by results? 2014 U.S. National Road Race Champion, which has partnered well with the 2015 U.S. National Criterium Champion. Yeah. That's exemplary, especially for someone who got into the sport professionally quite a bit later yeah man. yeah i don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question i don't know man those for sure because they're they mean something to any cyclist that competes or understands the level that you have to have to come across the line or to be competitive in those particular events I may have to get back on you on that because I think I also enjoy the process quite a bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, like even yesterday, you, you know, you have a rider like Taylor Finney. I'm not saying he's going out there to win the event, but to just be well placed and such. Um, you can do all of the prep perfectly, and then things go haywire, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
if I hang my hat on just results, then I'm not enjoying the process and the people and stuff along the way. And I remember catching that very early on. I remember I was in chiropractic school and we had a professor that was a lawyer, but he was also a chiro. And I think he went to law school first and, and then he was sort of complaining about how he like wasted seven years of his life and that and da, da, da. So I raised my hand and I was like, but didn't that lead you here, dude? Mm-hmm. And what about the people and the times and all of that stuff that was with you? Like, if you don't enjoy the process, like it doesn't like, ah. So sure. I think I've always sort of tapped into that a bit. That's incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's so foresightful. Um, or insightful, rather. My, my dad would always send me out every day with these expressions. Um, and he's like, yeah, your mind is a sponge. Just soak it all in. Or if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. Um, he, with that one especially, so he had a stroke at the age of 57. Um, he's still alive. He, you know, That means it's immediate retirement. He's paralyzed in half his body. But he loved the people he worked with and he loved... He loved going to work every day, and he loved uh, sharing his his knowledge and insight. He was an orthopedic surgeon, and he, you know, to this day, people come to him and they're like, you know, "Thank you, Dr. King. You repaired my carpal tunnel," and he'll remember the surgery that happened 18 years ago. And but, dude, how about that? How that's affected the person for the next 18, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you don't tap into that, like, let's say this person <laughs> saw Finney or you lined up, and like that inspired them. to kind of change their trajectory to get into something like this that's that's huge you can't overlook that type of stuff did you end up spending time in town last night i did commercial street probably until 10 10 30 yes. yeah i freaking love that we were there at the latest i've ever made it i mean typically i'm passed out by 10 o'clock um so to those listening who've never been here they they shut down downtown emporia it becomes a circus and and so many I mean, like literally a circus with food trucks and the local Cub Scouts and the local 4-H and, and just everybody's selling their knickknacks and gigas and there's everybody's lined up and you're watching the finish and stores are open until, you know, 2 a.m. Um, that energy and, and the number of people who see that who are local and say, I want to get into this and they start riding their bike the next year. It's, it's freaking incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is a very inspiring event no matter who you are yeah um okay talk to me about the the balance that you had to maintain or wanted to maintain or maybe needed to maintain to race a bike professionally and maintain a chiropractic sure practice so i think like in chiropractic school that's pretty intense um med school basically and then so i figured out how to do it pretty well there for studying and such um but I was also really only racing crits at the time just because of the time commitment. And if, Were you and up in Minneapolis? Minneapolis. Yep, okay. that's where the Cairo school is, which is obviously, you know that place. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a cycling community, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, so I f- sort of figured it out there a little bit, like how to do the training, you know, commuting to school and try to get some efforts in there and then maybe double days, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it wasn't near the volume that you do for the professional um, level, but anyway, so it was good because I didn't have any base, right? So Mm -hmm. anything I was doing, I was going to get fitter. So then when I moved out to Arizona in 2008 and nine, I was running some other uh, docs practices and 
just things <clears throat> happened where I was like spending pretty much six days a week at these offices and I really didn't get that outlet of the bike. And I was like, how can I teach and talk to Ted about living a healthy and wellness lifestyle when I'm not living it myself, mm. not having that balance? And so then I took a job, paid a little bit less, but I had a little bit more time to um, start doing some of those things again. And then that was finding a little bit more of the balance again. And then what happened is just I started to do well again on the bike and start racing in, in 2010, 11 and such in southern or in Arizona and the southwest. I started to get some results. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then that helped me get a name in Arizona. So then I opened up my own office. Nice. And then once that happened, um, I was able to start dialing in the schedule of when I would see patients to spend a little bit more time on the roads. And then, you know, when you do that, if you know what you're doing, training wise and recovery, you can get some good efforts in and start building on a better and bigger, deeper foundation. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a matter of like having the chance to call the shots on my own with my own office and then, um, you know, being believed in by any uh, team or manager that gave me a shot, you know, like there's a lot of riders out there that have the ability like us or better. We don't even know, mm -hmm. but they never get a shot. Sure. And that, how did you end up on, um, mountain khakis smart sure. stop? Because that was the first pro team. And I mean, talk about, you mentioned the process. That's what I really gleaned from. Um, I think the first time I ever heard about enjoying the process of, of training and racing, uh, was Creed, Mike Creed, who I think is so, is such a mind for cycling. He runs the Evolo team now. I think by the end of his career, he was very much shot on the sport. He, you know, he, he'd been through the ringer and just seen it all, but he still, he loves the process. He loves what, what the whole, everything that goes into cycling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how'd you end up? How'd you well, end up yeah, there? it would be with and through him. So I guess like you could, you should sit down. Have you talked to him yet? I've done, he's the, Originator original. podcast. I did his podcast. Those were so good, so much fun. Yeah, he's um, a goofball. He is a, a see. Wild mine's man. mine's too. So I have one as well. Yeah, and mine is always Mention about it. uh, it's OEM Organic Eric Marcotte. I mean, that was my nickname from. Uh -huh. Do you know? Remember Corey Steinbrecher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. he nicknamed me that, and it's always like, let's say I talk to you, uh, talk to Ted King, and there's I, probably what I would do is just about being this persona and just bringing a lot of. Um, good energy to the sport and you know firing people up for what you do and such and then like chris blevins yep, he, i, I talked to him about what was off the bike mm -hmm. and how he finds balance and if he has a bad day like it's not like everything anyway so and then let's say the musculoskeletal system how like let's say you want to do a 10 15 hour event what would be necessary so if somebody's mm -hmm. doing something pretty good instead of me just talking all the time I try to find that particular message in that person and then really highlight that. So hmm. it's Very a little cool. more serious. I have a goofy side to me for sure. Yeah. But in those situations, it's like I'd rather be a little bit more informative. But anyway, so back to Creed and the original guy doing the podcast. He, I guess, if he tells the story, he, it was in 2013, they did like a training camp in Arizona and then they did this crit and I smoked them. Yeah. Like the Optum team. And he was like, yo, who is this guy? <laughs> right. And then uh, I think that at the end of 2013, he contacted me and Travis McCabe mm -hmm. and we did a 
tour of Alberta in yeah 2013 with them to just see like what was that like was, for, were you on the team with travis at that point yeah we were on okay. elbows so i was yeah. on elbows in 12 and 13 and then travis was with us in 13 mm-hmm. um i could see what travis had like dude's still crushing it yeah for sure so so yeah so in 2013 we did tour of alberta which was pretty legit yep it was a hard and that, race and that was like um my first opportunity to see like well if I got to race professionally, do I even have that level of fitness and stuff like that? And I was like, man, this isn't too far off. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I just need to do a little bit more training or dial in the schedule and stuff. And so then they asked us to race in 2014 professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then I started dialing in the patients a little bit more, let's say 70, 30, you know, 70 office, 30 bike. And then when you win nationals, it's like the other way around because I felt like obligated to do the jersey well or like prove myself. Like, no, this wasn't just one day and that type of stuff, you know. And you you ended up winning a impressively difficult, hot, I mean, no different than yesterday, um, nationals. That was what, Chattanooga? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one from the break, if I'm not mistaken. It was a big break, which ends up basically being the Peloton. Is that very accurate? I think we had we had quite a bit in that break, and then it blew it apart right yeah. on the last lap. Or yeah. even guys like what we saw yesterday slowly coming off, mm-hmm. whether it was heat or not having the fitness. But, um, yeah, a select group came up to us, and I can't remember if it was like eight or ten total mm-hmm. going for the win. So talk to me about afterwards, there ended up being some, call it political stuff. Did you end up going to that world championship? That I did. Yeah. And I think, you know, at the time, I mean, I know Jim and, um, yeah, I would say he's, he's a friend and stuff, but mm-hmm. at the time he's like, well, this guy can't race at that level, right. you know, because like, again, I'm kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, so I totally get it. Right. Uh, but that particular course in Pomferrada, Spain, was decent for my physical abilities, and um, I trained my ass off. I mean, like, literally trained my ass off. And that's yeah. what I see at the office, mm-hmm. is that when people focus so much more are on the actual training of the cycling effort, their body starts to buckle and tighten and then you can't use your ass. And uh-huh. we're talking about the glutes, okay? <laughs> yeah. And so they lose the glutes and all these things. And then that was also now the point where I was like, oh, this is what's happening to patients. This yeah. is why those hip flexors, those hamstrings, the psoas, blah, blah, blah. And then, so then from then on out, I never took out the off the bike stuff because I knew it was so important. Like if I stop racing a bike, I don't want to not have the ability to do like some crazy hikes or some other types of activities without um, injury mm-hmm. from that. Sure. Yeah, so I did do the 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 race in um, Worlds, and that was such a crazy cool experience. And I mean, if I could do it again, like I would almost fucking race for myself, man. Yeah. Because when you look at the two hundred or so, or just under two hundred riders, not all of them are g'd up for that. You know, they're not actually feeling like they can win. They've got long world tour, pro tour seasons. It was raining a bit. And like at points, people just check out and then you're behind them. And I was like at five and a half hours that it 
Italy lit it and I was behind it because okay. I was kind of looking after riders and and I was like, oh, these guys are checked out. No kidding. And I was like, I wish I was ahead of that and yeah. just sort of, but anyway, it was just super cool to represent the U.S. in that way and I've, you know, of course I didn't get any result, but the whole process, like I did crazy training hard rides mm -hmm. getting ready for those events, man. Well, I'm psyched you ended up going. I remember there was a political stink about it that, yeah, to your point, um, you don't have the, you don't have world tour experience. You haven't bumped elbows with these dudes outside of a handful of world tour races that come to North America, but you won a ridiculously hard U.S. national championship ahead of all the world tour guys. Um, your motivation was clearly there. And, and for them to even question that, I thought was, well, I here, was I'll give you, I'll give you this as an example. So motivation, <clears throat> I'm not lacking when, when I see something that could fit me. Okay. So in 2015, Jim asked me, so he, you know, he's like, Oh, this guy can actually ride. So he asked me to race the Pan Am games. Okay. And I was the only dude racing that race, right? Okay. And I lit that up, <laughs> like no kidding. Where was it? Uh, Toronto. Okay. And it was a perfect course. It was like up and down all day, just yeah. a circuit, just, and, um, so anyway, I get second by like an inch yeah. to a guy from Venezuela who had just came off of a doping. And, and, and since then he got caught again. Okay. okay. So I was hoping that that win would get me because I had just won the national championship yeah, crit, yeah, yeah. the opportunity to race Richmond. That's what I was hoping. Right. Uh -huh. But now I miss out by an inch because of some other guy that anyway. Um, but what I didn't do leading up to Richmond is to show my motivation. Right. So it's not always like when you race professionally, you can get to race all the races because on a team they pick other riders for certain events and so in 2016 you have Doha mm -hmm. Qatar mm -hmm. and <clears throat> leading into that like I was ripping in uh, Pennsylvania what are those races Doylestown and yeah, the yeah. Uh, Univest or whatever they call it now mm -hmm. Reading mm -hmm. just on fire like I was super motivated and then I thought hmm they haven't selected yet so that Thursday after those races, it had 143 miles before I went into work. And I said, I'll be ready. I sent the file over to Jim, and yeah. then I just kept training and did 150, 160, 163. Like, I was miles. ready. Yeah, yeah. Dang, bro. Dude, I, yeah, I can share it. But anyway, so what I did in that one that I didn't do in 15 is show that I would be ready if... If you want me there, uh -huh. you know what I'm saying? Because in 15, I felt like, man, that's a good course. It's just like a one minute effort and it's a little technical circuit and the flat, the rest of it. This is great. <clears throat> I'll represent the U.S. And then if people know my backstory like that, I just said, they'd be proud, like well, no matter what happened, because they can all relate, which is similar to what this event here is like, is you are committing your life around a particular experience and uh, motivated to do so. You're showing up, doing that work to show up and enjoy this experience as best as possible. So, yeah, that's, there's there's some stuff behind, like, when I line up to do things, you sure. know? Yeah, it's cool to, 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 
I don't know, put your honor and name behind it as opposed to just effectively half-assing it because you have the physiology. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. Well, to be fair, I kind of half-assed it yesterday because I have the physiology because I didn't know what I was getting into mm -hmm. and I'm coming off of rehabbing after getting hit by a car and not having nearly the volume yet and intensity and stuff necessary, but I still physiologically have the ability to be at the front with you guys and there I am and things go sideways, but... That's what gets really interesting this for me in this post-professional side of cycling where, I mean, I, I still want general life fitness and, and I want to be, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not prone to injury, which I really value. I'm, I like being conscious of a diet and conscious of training, but just doing things in macro cycles because you have the knowledge about them instead of like, I don't train. I just ride a bike and I know that, oh shoot, I haven't done some intensity in a while. Let's go in the hills and, and hit it hard that allows physiological maintenance but it's in in my mind it's been there done that like pro yeah, you days probably are got over. burnt out doing all of that like specific stuff so the bike wasn't quite as fun it was that it's, job dude yeah it it's always been it's much more fun now um sure there was sort of diminishing desire throughout my career i always loved riding um Big days would fire me up if I, you know, saw, you know, six hours with intervals. Like, yeah, that would get me going. But then I had a really great coach who also knew that that I needed days to just check out and do a six-hour ride with no training or no uh, no structural intensity. So I want, and, and I retired relatively young at 32 in order to maintain that love you see a lot of people who step away from cycling because they're just sick of it they're burnt out they're they're i i would argue that because you stepped out of it pretty early that you didn't do those next i don't know eight to whatever years that that is what's allowing you to have that little bit of more uh versatility in your body and less like mm -hmm. that i think that's what happens there becomes this big like shift mm -hmm. where that body buckles under that and then you're just managing these injuries and instead of understanding where they're stemming from mm -hmm. like that is my goal i feel like that's kind of my purpose here in life is to have people look at that and yeah. say all right so if i'm going to really commit to an event like dirty kanza or whatever we'll try to get to the world tour or whatever uh, okay that those are like big commitments and i'll totally back you but i also want you to think take a time out and say, what are you going to have after that? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Expound upon that based on your experience over the past six months. You were hit by a car. Mm -hmm. You are an animal because you totaled the car and you came away. I gave it. Injured, but no broken bones. Absolutely. I mean, quite literally totaled the car. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about the accident and then, then, then what you're saying like your new purpose in yeah this that's actually pretty good because i forgot about uh mentioning that so if so i would suspect that pretty much mostly everybody that's going to listen to this is a cyclist so i did an interview po two podcasts six months apart with the cycling lawyer do you know megan hotman yep. okay Older so yeah she's legit mm -hmm. um so what I would say is this isn't about me. It's more about you, like actually listening to those conversations about how being a really good cycling advocate, like riding in certain ways that if it ends up happening <clears throat> is going to help you 
instead of uh, hurt you as mm-hmm. a cyclist. And, he, and then the second one, because the first one I, we were talking about, like, how did she get on HBO and all of these things? Like, how did she get the district attorney and the law enforcement to do videos, to educate drivers? Like, that's pretty cool stuff. But I didn't ask her, like, what happens if you get hit? Mm-hmm. Like, And so then that's the second one. Nice. Like, what you should have in place and what you need to get your head wrapped around. Um, so, rehabilitating. So... Talk about the, the accent first real quick. Okay. So, yeah. If no, I was doing so everything okay legally. To... So, it's like on a, a decent... It's called Pima. And it's got a six to eight foot bike lane. There's two lanes, a median, two lanes, a mm-hmm. six to eight foot bike lane. It's literally north-south, dude. Like, there's nothing you can really do wrong there. And it is, like, pretty much the most trafficked thoroughfare for cyclists north and south to get out of town and like that's written it many times yeah and I, honestly i was unconscious or i don't recall 90 minutes um so i don't really know i mean the police report says he i'm traveling north he went uh east so hit me left to right mm-hmm. um stayed on the scene thankfully there was some witnesses and like everything ended up being covered for my rehab and uh but boy there are systems in place to fight for people who are negligent and looking to to that ted woke up today and chose to ride a bike that that is part of the the fault is on you by doing that like it is that is insane oh bro uh it it was overwhelming like if i if megan didn't help me out those i would have been too pissed like I, I'm pretty chill for the most part. <laughs> I show up to race competitively, that's a side. But then there's the, all of a sudden, it, it flips a switch where like, this is unacceptable. I'm mm-hmm. not okay with my body not being 100% because of somebody else's choice and that person being fought for. Mm-hmm. when they were. I don't think it was uh, malicious or in, intentional, but the neglect of being responsible behind the wheel, people will fight for that because they can empathize much more with um, checking their phone to make a tweet or did anybody respond or, you know, shoot an email, shoot a text, and then looking up and there's a vehicle in front of them or there's a cyclist in front of them and saying it's coming out of nowhere versus them feeling what it feels like to be buzzed by a 50 mile an hour vehicle. So I think that because the majority can feel the driver's side of it more so than what it feels like for us, that that system is really skewed that way. So, um, so, so there's like what happened. Um, yeah, I definitely smashed that car, man. Like it definitely took hit and think about it. Like, what did you do before Kanza? You did some training so that you have this foundation. So similarly, I certainly wasn't training to get hit by a car, mm-hmm. But that was into the off season. And so now I'm doing 100 pound squat jumps. I'm doing these nine hour hikes. Like my body physically is a little more balanced than it is when it's really peaked for a Mm -hmm. particular type of uh, cycling event. Mm -hmm. And that really played into um, being able to take that hit and go back the 20 years ago. I was lifting. Yeah. I was doing 500 pound squats when I was younger. So the bone density, when I look at my x-rays and MRIs, is significantly higher than somebody who's an endurance athlete, too. So um, the rehabilitation, I'm like a nutty professor on this stuff because 
I understand. I'm glad somebody's actually asking me about this because I'm trying to put together this 20 minute video of my rehab. So I like videoed it. Mm -hmm. Not everything. I didn't really look at it like having Ansel Dickey around to take some pretty cool shots and to really get the feel for it. But I understand enough to show images and speak like this to, to convey the importance of it. So anytime there's injured tissue, what I will say is that like the apps on your phone, they run certain programs and each knee, you got the knee app, you got the liver app, you got the heart app, you got the blood pressure app. And those are all sending signals to communicate like what's necessary for those. Mm-hmm. So whether you have blunt trauma, falling off your bike, getting hit by a car, you know, etc., or getting road rash, that tissue sends a signal to the brain that bro, this ain't available. Mm-hmm. This is injured. It's, it, Tell me if Steph Curry sprains his ankle, is he going to stand right on that again? No, his brain says it's not available. Let's put the weight on the left leg. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So knowing that program or software is running, I show like a six weeks without getting on the bike exercising because until my brain lets me use that side, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pedal 5,000 times an hour, you know? Because what are you going to build on? You will build on something imbalanced to maintain that physical aerobic fitness. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it so often, dude, for 12 years that people jump that terminal velocity of healing and try to get in front of it. And it doesn't bode well in the long run. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, every pro cyclist, not every. Have you broken bones? I broke my collarbone, yeah. Okay, well, right. That's my... Every pro cyclist has broken their collarbone, with very few exceptions. They have surgery, and they're riding the trainer virtually a day or two later. Um, in theory, when you have surgery, yeah, you're 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 fixed, but you're still gonna you're gonna baby it. Well, let's. I'm pretty. I know semantics. I'm asymmetric. I'm yeah yeah about. I'm asymmetric as a result of breaking a collarbone and riding as quickly as I can afterwards because you are so terrified of losing fitness, which is crazy. It's too bad that that cyclists don't realize at an elite level, your foundation is so deep and it's going to come back quickly. Just have some patience. Let it heal. Let your body heal. Right. So I'm really particular about semantics on words and stuff. So the word fix in a dynamic system, like on the body, I do not let patients say that. I say manage, maintain, and address. Mm -hmm. So let's say you've broken the collarbone and you actually have to have a plate in there. Perhaps you've fixed that, uh, but you have not you have now changed what works around there. So again, go back to the fact that that body's going to protect you from whatever's injured in this shoulder. How do you think your rotator cuff or labrum in your shoulder is going to do in five to 10 years when you want to go for a hike and you haven't been using it through that range of motion because the only thing that you test yourself on is putting your arms on the, the handlebars. Like that's a significant issue but because you don't test it, you don't realize that that's not present. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, also, too, the cardiovascular system and metabolism changes so much faster and adapts so much faster than the musculoskeletal system. So mm-hmm. when you wait for that musculoskeletal system to me- to to heal and then ride or build your fitness upon that instead of just what you physically can do aerobically, mm-hmm. it, you have a better shot at longevity and not, and not 
bumping up against issues all the time. So shy of watching the video, what did you do amid recovery mm-hmm. coming back from, from this <laughs> horrific accident? Yeah. So I think, so it was like the week or two before we, I did this massive hike up in Flagstaff. It was like nine hours, probably uh, 26, 27 miles, something like that. Like thousands of feet, right? 8,000 to start, go up to 13 or so, which is top of Humphreys, just all day. Yeah. And to put it into perspective, I had about five or six days that I had to do rehab on myself because it was around Thanksgiving. So I couldn't get into offices to like legitimately document what's happened to me. Uh, So I can do quite a bit of rehab myself, but insurance wise, covering my bike and stuff, I have to look like legally show that this happened to me. Right. So when I finally got into the PT office a week later, I couldn't do a six inch step down. So let's say we're stepping down a curb. Uh-huh. I couldn't do it eight times, huh. not eight or nine hours or yeah. 800 times, like eight times. Uh-huh. So I totally, that's what I started to do is I literally was starting to. So we, I'm very lucky. I've got expi- uh, exposure and um, use of some s- super cool stuff. So for instance, Let's say you you put your hand on a piece of glass and then you take it off and you can see the fingerprint marks. So there's like pressure sensing analysis that we have or at the office. Mm-hmm. And I can stand on that and look at a screen and see where the pressure is in my feet. So I can learn that immediate feedback of how to shift my body to put the pressure through the right foot the same as the left foot. Mm-hmm. And so once I started to do that and then I start to do it with squats and then i start to do it with a lunge and like it is like basically re it's like uploading it i'm trying to speak in terms that everybody can understand it's like Mm -hmm. the new software like i want this upgraded version to to be running so that's when i knew i would be ready for the next thing and then we would progressively build workloads on top of that as it was becoming more capable Mm -hmm. um like going through a 360 degree, like on the balance boards and stuff like that. And mind you, I'm call it biased or not. I'm a chiropractor. I think I've seen this again for 12 years that people, I could give you 10 fundamentally imbalanced parts on a cyclist and give you exercises to, um, address those and you could have the most perfect intent but because you hit your shoulder on your left side you're going to be moving differently Uh and so the outcome of that uh, in input is not the same now let's say as a chiro oh man look at this left lower cervical spine it's tightened to protect your left shoulder i'll loosen those joints for you and you say god i didn't realize it was so tight it feels better but guess what you didn't do with that range of motion? You didn't use it to train and get some more strength and endurance and actually recruit those. So I see that there's this disconnect of not using them simultaneously or even with massage at the same time as well, mm-hmm. that you miss this opportunity to really get in there. So those PT exercises are phenomenal, but on a foundation that's not moving perfectly, again, you're going to get stronger at something you've not done, but it may not be the ultimate outcome you're looking for. Oh my God, you got an adjustment. It felt great to loosen those joints up that have become restricted, but you've never asked why they became restricted in the first place and then put together a program to address that or the same thing with massage. 
like going in there intently and finding those imbalances and where the tensions built up, putting together a program and seeing that change. That's the stuff that I've, I've been doing and trying to teach people and get them aware about. What percentage of your clientele are athletes versus non based on your pedigree and, and building a reputation of, you know, you are the professional national champion athlete. Yeah, but you know what, dude? The, so the day after I won, I had to go back and go to work because yeah, I certainly yeah, wasn't yeah. expecting that. And there was a few <laughs> people in the office that had that didn't know I raced bikes. Uh-huh. So um, it definitely is on the higher end. It's It'd be like people that are here, their active lifestyle, whether they're finishing at that 10-hour mark like Colin or, you know, people that are just, just like dragging in at that 16-hour mm-hmm. mark, mm-hmm. like it spans. Um, it can be mothers just trying to get fit again. It's everybody. Sure. And then sometimes people literally don't exercise at all. And right. it's crazy that they come in to see me. But I try to light a fire with them. Say, hey, why don't you get something on the schedule? Why don't you do the, the Tillman, Pat Tillman's, you know, yeah. fun 5K walk, whatever. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. keep them motivated for things. So I mean, it just I, must be interesting to see the, the, the compounded... <sighs> Call it chronic injury or chronic. Uh, you know, you're talking about why did why did A result in B, or why did you have injury A? It's a result of A, B, C, D, E, and people aren't looking at E. And I'm I'm trying to think in my mind, as opposed to thinking anywhere else, <laughs> um, of an athlete like a cyclist who does a very linear motion, and you're going to repeat that. 10,000 times a day as opposed to the person who is not an athlete at all who still has compounding quote unquote injury um my mind's well, working okay, in a mysterious here's a, way here's a good ex- explanation so you said 10,000 times a day so that would be a two hour ride sure. if they're averaging 90 rpm that's yep. 5,400 an hour so mm-hmm. let's say they do 10 hours a week of riding mm-hmm. you're 54,000 revolutions just in that position 200,000 in in a month, you know, a million in two and a half months, and people don't think about how those imbalances are going to affect them. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you double that, get into the 25-hour mark even for the world tour stuff. Mm-hmm. How much quicker are you going to have to address that? So there's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It kind of answers your point. So now if you have somebody sitting at a desk who doesn't test themselves at all, they don't know that that's happening because it is so much more gradual Mm -hmm. and it manifests itself a little bit later in life. But if they said, you know what, the kids are out of the house and I want to try this triathlon and they start getting fitter, they have to address it. But if they are sitting and they're not testing, they don't feel it. They don't have any expectations. They don't have uh, this, they don't get to see how that actually is affecting their life Mm -hmm. because there's nothing that they're wanting to achieve. Is that a, a good way to say it? So the yeah, more you yeah. do something, the the for sure you have to actually address it. And and here's here's something that I do with patients a lot. So Ted, wouldn't you want to say that you're a healthy individual? I certainly try to be. Okay. So with that being said, wouldn't you like to know if there was some some things that you were choosing to do to keep you away from your goal? Largely. Uh-huh. So how about the signs and symptoms the body gives you? Yep. Overheated, dehydrated, hungry, stiff, achy, painful. Like, dude, it's all there. And mm-hmm. when people try to, like, put the earmuffs on that stuff and blast through it, it's like you're actually not even achieving your goal of being this 
healthy individual for yourself or for your family, community or whatnot. It's mm-hmm. like, that's how I've always seen it. It's like, you know, you're going to have to keep hearing that stuff until you learn the lesson that you're supposed to in there. I dig it. That's poetry. Um, it's not like uh, spoken word poetry like Blevins, but it definitely makes sense. Um, <clears throat> I... In the past podcast I did with Leland, I say that bicycles bicycles have the, the ability to save the world. You know, you can rid it of stress and physical manifestations and pain and, and get rid of traffic. And, you know, if you could put everybody on a bike for an hour a day, I think the world would just be a better place. Unfortunately, we just don't really have patience for it as a society. No different than, yeah, if we just, if people would exercise, go out, go for a walk, do the Tillman 5K um, the world could be such a better place. It's the, it's the euphoric feeling of finishing an event, finishing a training session. Feeling good about yourself. And it's totally. like the dogs that chew up the couch because they don't get let out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of why society, I feel, this is personal opinion, is so angst, man. Like, cause they don't get let run out like we do before we go and sit down with people or do our jobs because mm-hmm. we've got that and we can feel proud about it. The work you put in the time you spend in your head and what you're, why you're here doing what you're doing. Uh, Bingo. it's a big, what I do with, so in my every day, I wear about 10 different hats every day. Working. You're not wearing them now. I'm, I'm literally not wearing, I, I had two hats to choose from, but I didn't put on either hat uh-huh. on, as we speak. Um, untapped takes a huge amount of my time, you know, co-owner of this company and we're, we're trying to build it like gangbusters and we're about 700 stores now. And, and as a small company, you wear many hats, even within untapped. Um, but every day or let's call it five days a week, six days a week, I need, I need to ride my bike. It's my outlet. It's my therapy. It's my, it's my dog going for a sprint around the house 15 times so that I don't come home and chew up the couch. Like it, it is that, that thing for me, no different than what you have. I mean, you have very impressive Cairo, office and then you have the ability to go burn it off with nine hour hikes with training with racing and being creative with setting up these conversations on uh podcasts or creative with photos or videos little story you tell here's something that i would you don't have to have this answer this is even for the listeners so if you don't have the bike as an outlet so now think about if you couldn't ride for six weeks because you got hit i think of this all the time i'll interrupt you if i could never ride a bike again how well would i survive Go well, on. but Go what on. else, what other medium would you find that piece with, right? Yeah. Okay, now let's do this, because you're active social media-wise. The lawyer, Megan Hotman, says, don't post, because if you go off for one-hour spin, like we see yesterday, you are above and beyond most people's ability. So a jury that doesn't ride and doesn't know this ability that you want to achieve, mm-hmm. sees you riding and saying, oh, it was so good to go for a spin and see my friend Eric. What if, like me, had to be quiet about my rehab process for six months? Mm-hmm. Again, bro, it is beyond comprehension about how much you feel not a part of things, about not being connected and accepted by community. Like, here you can if people are listening they probably see the uh, intent i had live with my life if i don't have that outlet to reach and feel like i'm inspiring or caring for people or sharing my life dude it was dark place mm-hmm. 
But I mm. sat with it long enough to be able to sit here and tell you like exactly how that feels really succinctly so that people get it's serious. Don't just have the bike as the outlet. Don't just have a job as the outlet. Don't just have um, any possessions as the outlet. Have multiple ways to find that place, that meditation, so that if you find it on the bike and you're driving in traffic, you can tap into it. So that if you you know, have unfortunate injury and you can't get on the bike that you can sit into that space. Okay. That was something very profound that, I mean, I've always saw it, but it really had to practice it during that time. Um, I have a very good friend who recommended the book digital minimalism to me, which I highly recommend you and all avid social media folk. I don't even mean that. I, I feel like it's the kind of book that everybody in this modern society should, should pick up and read. Social media, be it whether you're a producer on Instagram or a consumer on Facebook, has has changed the way we think as society, as people. And it's so recent. It's you know it didn't exist two decades ago, and now it it is so prevalent in our advertising and how we glean news, how news is steered to to us, and it's changing our our brain chemistry. Um, it I've taken a lot of steps to um, reduce my my digital I would love that because you kind of use book. like Ansel to you know capture the day this experience and stuff and then you can craft a post once you see some of those images about what you're really doing versus let's say for me I actually didn't put a photo of my bike up you know because I saw quite a few people saying here's my setup this is a because mm -hmm. it shows the sponsors and it shows other people gives them some idea of what's actually being used so I was leaving on Friday night um, after getting the, the numbers and such and I saw two locals just sitting on their porch I thought how oh, cool would it be to have these two holding my bike nice. oh, we can get into that conversation <laughs> but that is a, the point you're making is that that thought would never have been in my my mind if there wasn't a place where we know there's people that are hanging out checking in on what others are doing Yeah, it's yeah. totally changed the way you we live our lives because of that hundred percent. Yeah. To think it's no different than the brain chemistry that, that you're driving down the road and you say, I haven't checked Twitter in a while. I should check Twitter as I'm driving down the highway at 60 miles an hour. It's like, no, you shouldn't have that yeah. urge to have the satisfaction. I'll tell you what the, one of the first things I learned from the friend who told me about digital minimalism, you go into your iPhone in general in settings, sorry, settings general, uh, it's in accessibility basically you can make your screen black and white and the colors that you see in the real world once you've eliminated the the vibrancy of colors on your phone you see the world in a whole different light mm. um you can do this three button tap so that you hit your home button three times and it makes your screen color or black and white because you do need color if you're going to use the mapping feature it's transformative and that's one small 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 step to sure setting the time allowed yeah and then having to set a passcode and all of those things yeah i definitely really cool have do that all that stuff because in belgium last mm -hmm. year we were racing in belgium mm -hmm. and we had nothing else to do dude uh, yeah yeah so i got really on the phone because you're just uh, you don't have a car you're sitting and doing these events and mm -hmm. oh my god <clears throat> so i had to get onto that um and then the, for the first part of being like offline with after getting hit mm -hmm. is i had to really 
get into that again because here I am on this phone because I have so much time mm-hmm. instead of that was delegated to all the training and recovery and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah, I think people should actually just take a peek at what do they actually get out of that time on there? Is, is it actually beneficial? And what are they, what and who are they connecting with? Mm-hmm. That's truth. It's not wrong to observe others and get inspir- inspired and inspiration and such, but boy, oh boy, <clears throat> when you spend your life for the, the expression of, yourself on that that's that's a different that's not right or wrong it's definitely a choice the way to live these days but then if that's not no longer available who are you yeah 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 Yeah, i see you working now man you do a ton of stuff yeah singing the maple riding bikes and yeah to your point i mean i still love i i I want to inspire people on a bike i Mm -hmm. love riding a bike i want that to be um something that people see in me and want to bring a piece of that into their life, whether they ride a bike, maybe ride a little bit more or, or remain diversified. I mean, moving back to Vermont, that's allowed so much diversification as opposed to living in California where you could ride a bike year round. Um, I see on the roller skis. I see. Yeah. That goes back to this nutty professor about the body (laughs) trying to figure out, I don't like going into the gym and doing these band exercises. Uh How can I do that in the real world where it's functional and still be outside doing something that I love? That's the stuff that I get the most room on the road, by the way. Yeah. Oh, they don't know what they're seeing. Absolutely not. I think that's gotta be one of the most well-rounded sports you could ever do. It's strength. It's endurance. It's, it's, um, coordination, coordination, body awareness mm-hmm. as a hard sport. Oh yeah. And then do it on, well, I'm talking about Nordic skiing where if you fall in the snow, that's one thing you fall on pavement. I definitely have. I was like, man, this is amazing sunrise. Boom. There's a rock. Yeah. And it just lit me up. And, and they probably, yeah, I feel like there's no uh, breaks. No, there's no breaks. I feel like your knees are prone to injury again on snow. Like, okay, you're going to like dig your ski into the snow. That's a big old unit on your roller skis. No, I think if, well, if what you, it's what, it's less running is bad for you uh-huh. as to how much or what you actually do to run. Oh, I don't it's, mean like, I don't mean the pounding nature. Oh, I mean like you hit you, it. You, you crash wrong and you, yes. you know, twist a knee. Trouble. Sure. But you gotta, you always gotta learn to do the ninja roll, right? Once okay. you race bikes, you just have to learn how to ninja roll that. And then you come out of it just with That's road rash. Deft. Timmy, Timmy Duggan. Would talk about um, his his airbag shoulder. He always crashed on one side because I think as much as we'd like to think you can control what you're doing at 40 miles an hour when you're crashing, like chances are it just happens. And Timmy would always, I think, land on his left. I'm very similar. I've largely <laughs> torn up my left side. Airbag, ninja, you choose. Yeah, ninja sounds so much more deft. Um, what's I, next for you, dude? Uh, so DK was. A big one on the on the schedule. So the wife and I will go home tomorrow, and we've we've tried to put you know four or five days on the horizon to just go up to Maine and chill out and relax. Um, I suppose the next competitive event would probably be Iceland in late July, called the Rift, um, followed by our event, which takes a lot of work. So that's something that we're going to continue doing for right. the next two months. Right. What are you doing uh, August second, third, fourth? Maybe. Come to Vermont, man. It'd be freaking awesome to have you. Um, we're we're definitely really trying to showcase the fun, all welcoming, you know, party atmosphere. Um, it will be competitive. There'll be competitive elements. Wait, but there's a start and a finish. There is a start and, and finish. You're gonna say, and you'll have a number on you. <laughs> but 
there are there's not yet mandatory stops, but we're trying to institute the you know the best the core checkpoint type of thing of the principles of gravel. Um, I got Leadville. I got Steamboat. Mm. I got. How do you prep for those altitude ones, dude? And you this just was, show up. You just. I. I'm just gonna show up. I mean, that goes back to. If it was a different time in my career, I would go and acclimatize. I would mm. do specific training for for these things. Now it's like, oh shoot, okay, Leadville has a big climb. I'm gonna just go find the biggest climb in my area and ride that a bit. But how do you do? I mean, to simulate ten thousand to twelve five is just insane. So I I, I I don't do like oxygen deprivation or any of that. Right. Just, I did the interview with the guy that won the Leadville Trail Run. Oh, woof. <clears throat> Rob Carr. Yeah. So, he, but he's up in Flagstaff, so he's yeah. at seven thousand all the time. And I don't plan on winning Leadville. I should. Point yeah, that I out. mean, I think that's also it too. But I'm. It's hard for me to say I'm going to line up for DK and not expect to be in the top ten. Agreed. I mean, same thing Agreed. with like Leadville. I don't want to just yet mm-hmm. do these because I'm enjoying that whole thing leading into it. So now this is the actual expression of that intent. These events wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like doing them for just fun. You know, I like to actually say, all right, what can I do against some of the best out mm-hmm. here? And Leadville, I just, I'm not keen on that yet because I... I like how you say yet. So here's, much <clears throat> like you learned a lot yesterday and you could come back and shave a lot of time off your ride and you are you will have a much better DK 2.0. I've done Leadville once. I finished 11th in like six hours and two minutes. So, you know, Dang. well, and, and so I'm like, well, shoot, I wanted to go top 10. I thought mm-hmm. I could do top 10. Lockie was there. Alex was there. Uh, it was a hitter year, but I still thought I could do it. It was the first year in retirement. And then, yeah, you're like shoot in your mind. Okay. Time is so arbitrary, but you want to go under six, which was really a doozy because of my cycling computer. It said like 5:59, but I forgot that I had to stop and fix a few things mm. and at which point the clock stops. So, you know, Maybe you should do Leadville at some point with the anticipation of coming back. These things are are. I'm. I'd have to find some time and schedule in three, four weeks at altitude, man. Yeah. Oh, see, I would. I've had luck showing up last minute. You either acclimatize or show up last minute. You don't want to do like the arrive four days in advance because then no, you will be suffering. Because I can promise you, I've done Utah and Colorado, and yeah. uh, bro, like there's a day that my body will mm-hmm. shut down. Yeah. yeah. So I do believe Stage that because of that. So hard. I would probably be a good responder to altitude. Like to me, because it is so big of a hit, mm-hmm. uh, I think I would actually go pretty good after three, four weeks at it. But anyway, so maybe, you know what I was trying to tell some of these guys is meet them up in Utah and Colorado, three, four weeks, take to Tacoma and camp out and do some rides. Just tell some stories like we're doing, man. Yeah. Oh man. Let's start the, the podcast stage race. Just nonstop. All right. <laughs> We're going to wrap up with three questions. Oh, boy. One, what is your favorite place to ride a bike? Two, what is the number one place you would like to ride a bike that you've not yet ridden? And three, living or otherwise, with whom is somebody that you are really interested in going for a bike ride with? Oh, wow. Where do I like to ride the most? My... So I always keep going back to New Zealand. Have you done Tour of Southland? I was due to go down there, and I broke my something. I got into an accident while we were racing a stage race in Australia, so I never made it to the next segment, which was going to be New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So that place, 
is just spectacular. Now, that's tour of Southland, which is the South Island, so I really haven't spent any time in the North Island, but just the vastness uh, or like the the variety of um topography and everything like Mm -hmm. the climates are just like so close and change i would love to do some stuff like this where gravel adventure mountain bike i mean the roads are few and far between so you got to really think about you know do you want to be on the roads in these areas where nobody's riding but Mm That it would be is the place I'd love to ride the most. Um, what was the second question? Was, well, you sort of answered them both because the first one is what's your favorite place to ride, and the second one is where do you want to go ride? Oh, okay, yeah. There's some spots down there that just look unbelievable, and I believe uh, somebody could correct me if I'm wrong. There is a gravel road from the south part of the island to the north part of the island that you could totally do a bike packing that thing on. That would be on. sick. Mm-hmm. Nice. That would be just super cool. Uh huh. Uh, and then the last one, who to ride with. Press, present. Jeez, man. Why does it always have to be one? <clears throat> I, you know what I want to do? Here's it's, what it, I want to do. right now? Because it could be like, you could have a different answer tomorrow. Yep. So I'm going to do spur of the moment and say LeBron James. Why? Wicked. Because what I would love to see those types of uh, exposure athletes or individuals do is to turn down a contract to a company that is producing a product that's really not necessary. So let's say we have like a a soda type of drink that we know is producing like diabetes, overweight, yeah, yeah, and such. Yeah, yeah. If a individual like that said, you know what, I don't want that money, it could create some awareness along that front. So hmm. what I would do and love to sit down and talk and shop with lebron is like bro get on the bike and show it that's what i would that's that's spur does, of the moment thought he does some inspiring stuff stuff on the bike he was a co-owner in cannondale for a while oh wow um and he's done there's some really cool thing where i think in his town maybe Ak- akron every kid who graduated high school he bought a bike and a helmet oh right his his influence is so deep. His um, benevolent work is incredible and it is involved in the bike, but shoot, that would be incredible because like his shoe contract alone could buy world tour as an entity, right? He could buy like virtually every team mm-hmm. or he could turn down a, a Coke sponsorship and well, well, I I'll do difference to Coke. I drink yeah, a Coke I yesterday. There's any type of, yeah, like interesting. Sugary I dig it. Like I dig that. it. I wonder. I wonder how receptive he would be to that. He'd be like, well, then, "Bro, do you, you know see what Reggie? twenty-five million dollars is worth?" <laughs> yeah, you know Reggie. Well, I'm Miller? not saying. Yeah, yeah. You know Reggie that's been riding a yeah. ton, right? Mm-hmm. So like, those types of people, just the diversification and getting into the different different demographics to show exposure. I see that opportunity with the Tacoma mm-hmm. and being off road. Like now we're gravel. We're both out here on these dirt roads. You're in the truck. I'm on the bike. Some people are hiking. Like the overlap instead of the difference, that is a very important thing because it's not the cyclists that need to know that we're getting hit. It's the others and mm-hmm. like what we can do to keep us safer, to do what we love. That's why I would say with um, Reggie and uh, LeBron about like, hey man, like branch this out and like put people on those bikes instead of it just being a cyclist. We, a handful of years ago, I did the ride on Atlanta. There's Ride on Washington, Ride on New York. Um, People for Bikes is the organization. And 
one day we rode with Jimmy Johnson, who is what seven time, eight time NASCAR champion. And the number of people who would drive by our group of about 30 and lay on the horn and just, you know, flick us off, throw stuff at us was very high, especially um, in this geography we're riding. But when you stop and you reconvene in a Walmart parking lot, that's where we often did it. And the number of people who were like shocked to see Jimmy Johnson and come over and take the picture and high five was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like they would not honk if they knew it was Jimmy, but he does a good job of, he's, he's showing that he's riding a bike and Reggie, especially on his social media, he shows himself riding a bike and, and yeah, it's a different story. Uh, Barry Bonds rides a bike. He, to have that, the exposure so that you're not just a person on a bike. No, no, not, not just, just a, a cyclist. Person, right. You are a person. A cyclist is a negative term. And what? I think in England, they're getting rid of, they're trying to get rid of the word cyclist. I heard this on NPR really briefly. Because cyclist is them, it's somebody else. They wanted to call it like person riding a bike. And that, that will change people's awareness. Eh. Well, you gotta try. You have to fight, try, man. man. You're doing great work. Keep try. it up. Um, I wish you safe travels. So until yep. the next time. Thanks, dude. Keep on I really keep on appreciate trucking. it. Yeah. This has been great. Thanks, Eric. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to this King of the Ride episode. My thanks go out to Eric for making the time and sharing his story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, five star reviews are greatly appreciated and definitely noted. I love your comments. I read your comments, so please keep those rolling in. And lastly, thanks go out to Splat Sunscreen for supporting today's pod. Summer is here, folks. It is hot out. It is sunny out. And you probably have your sunscreen hidden away in a closet or under your sink or somewhere gummed up and messy with last year's sunscreen. Splats makes it easy. Easy to use, their single-serve packets of sunscreen, ideal for people like you, people like me, who are always on the go. I keep these handy little packets in my backpack, in my car. Heck, put them in your saddlebag, your jersey pocket. Check them out, splatssunscreen.com, and use code KING at checkout for 20% off your order. That's all from here. Until next time, my friends, please enjoy the ride.